You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. For the next 42 days, we're going to be in the book of 1 John together as a church. And I, I challenge you, no, really, I, I dare you to also be in the book of 1 John the next 42 days yourself. Uh, there's 105 verses in the entire book of 1 John. So if you were to take uh, those 105 verses over the next 42 days, it's really just you actually exactly reading two and a half scriptures every morning from the book of 1 John, two and a half. Or if you would like to, you can just read one chapter of 1 John every day. It should take you four minutes to read a chapter of 1 John. There's five chapters, and so over the course of the next 42 days, it means that you'll read through the short book of 1 John eight and a half times by the time we come back. So 42 days. How many days? 42 days. You can do this. This can be done. What if together as a church family, we were in 1 John and let 1 John really saturate into our hearts that we would learn together Uh, what God is saying to us through his word about life and about love and about assurance and about eternal life. Those are the themes of 1 John. So with your copy of God's word, guess where we're turning? 1 John. Let's go together. And even your Bible or maybe a device that you have or a smartphone, let's go to 1 John. Let's go to chapter 1 and begin in verse 1 this morning. 1 John chapter 1. If you're relatively new to church, the book of Revelation is the very last book in the New Testament. So if you'll hook a left, you'll find 1 John about four books uh, in front of the book of Revelation. So 1 John chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 1 this morning. Now if the Apostle Paul had written this, it would be so orderly, it would be so logical, it would be point one, point two, point three, point four. But, but Paul did not. Instead, we get John who is like point one, point three, part of point four, back to point two, now a little bit of part of point three. Let's talk a little bit more about point one later on. Like he is just all over the place. It's a jumble of points in First John, which kind of makes it a, a challenge to preach. But if you have ADD, you're gonna love this book because he's just everywhere all the time. But he keeps reiterating the same things over and over again, but kind of puts them in a new light or applies them in a new way. So we're in First John chapter one, verse one. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard. We proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. There are two pivotal desires over the next 42 days that I pray, that I hope we understand and and learn together. Two pivotal desires for the next 42 days. And I use the word pivotal on purpose. Because your life, the the entirety of your life, the eternity of your life pivots. It, It hangs, it hinges on these two desires, these two aims, these these two missions for the next 42 days. And here's the first pivotal desire we must understand and fully believe and receive. And here it is. I want you to know that you have eternal life. I want you to know that you have 
eternal life. I would say this is probably the primary purpose of the book of 1 John. That you would know for sure, that you'd be certain, everyone in this house, you would know for certain where you are when it comes to everlasting life. You're in 1 John chapter 1, just go a few pages to the right and look at 1 John chapter 5 verse 13 with me. This is probably, again, if you could boil 1 John down to one verse, I think this would be the verse that rises to the top. Here it is, 1 John 5 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, that you might have assurance, that you will know for sure that you have eternal life. The phrase eternal life is used 10 times in this short book. The word certain or no or for sure is used 50 times in this book. That there seems to be over and over again this desire of John for, for God's people to know for sure, to be absolutely certain that we have eternal life. I, I've been thinking this week, is there anything more important than this? And I could not come up with anything. This is it. I want you to know that you have eternal life. I mean, don't you want to know? Don't, don't you want to know for sure that you have life that is eternal? There's going to be people written about all in the book of 1 John who, who said they know Christ, but they did not. There's people all throughout Waco that, that say they know Christ, yet they do not. Why is it so important for you to know that you have eternal life. Here it is because it is easy to be deceived. It is easy to be deceived about eternal life. There are people who say, there are people who think, there are people who advertise that they are Christians, but they are not. In the book of 1 John, it says there are some who, who think they walk in the light. There are some who think they have Christ and yet they deceive themselves. And listen, Highland, from my heart, I do not want you deceived. I do not want you deceived of, of, of all things. I do not want you deceived that you think you're a Christian. That you think you have eternal life, but you don't. It is so easy to be deceived as we're gonna see in the book of 1 John these next 42 days about eternal life. Now, on one hand, you can be deceived. But on the other hand, you can know for sure. And I hope in the course of the next 42 days that all of us in this house, we land in one of two places. Either you land in a place where you realize you do not have eternal life, but you're gonna turn to Jesus to find eternal life, or you're gonna know for sure, even today, a lot of you may already be there, I know for sure that I have eternal life. And if that is the case, you will walk in the confidence and the joy of knowing you have eternal life. Here's the second pivotal desire for the next 42 days. I want you to experience God's substantial, reliable love. There's a lot of lesser love in Waco. It's not substantial and it's not reliable. But here's a, a pivotal desire for the next 42 days. Not only that you would know, we would know we have eternal life, but I want you to know God's substantial, reliable love. You see, John, as he was writing this, he was a pastor, an old pastor, but he was a pastor of a church in Ephesus. And he is winding down his life. And so he's writing these, these letters to churches in Asia Minor, which just kind of think modern day Turkey. And he's sending out these, these letters and they're letters that are compelled by love. The, the letters he is writing is because he loves these people 
so much. And so these next 42 days, as we walk through the book of 1 John together, as you walk in the book of 1 John, I hope, during the week, I want you to know that everything that is written here is compelled by love for you, the compassion of God for you. The word love, in fact, is used 50 times in this short 105-verse book. So on average, every other verse speaks of love. But this morning, I want you to, to hear me on this. I, I don't want you just to hear about love. I don't even want you to believe that there is such a thing as love that comes from God if you're not truly experiencing God's love yourself. That you're not standing in God's love, that you're not knowing God's love itself. It is one thing to, to hear about or to, to hear others speak about the love of God, even to believe there is a love that comes from God, but not experience it and not, not know it. It's like, it's like the Grand Canyon. I don't know if you've been to the Grand Canyon before, but the Grand Canyon, you can see pictures all day long and it looks beautiful. You can hear people talk about the Grand Canyon all day long and their stories are amazing until you stand in the Grand Canyon and you're overwhelmed by the beauty, the grandeur, the vastness, then you're standing in the canyon. You're experiencing the canyon. You know what the Grand Canyon looks like. This is what I'm talking about. Not just knowing about God or knowing there is a love that comes from God, but that you're experiencing God's love, that you're standing in God's love, that you know firsthand eyewitness account to the love of God. I want you to know God's love, the substantial, reliable love of God. You see, Christian, you were created to enjoy God's infinite love for you. And listen, non-Christian, you were created to enjoy God's infinite love for you. We were created to enjoy this, this love of God, not not dry religious duty, not, not just some mere um, motions of religiosity, but to know the love of God, to experience the infinite love of God. We were created for this, not just mere religious exercise. And I, I fear that far too many people who confess to be Christians are missing out completely on the love of God, experiencing the love of God. I, I fear even far too many people who are Christians are missing out on experiencing the infinite love of God for them and over them, enjoying God's love. Not only were you created to enjoy God's infinite love for you, you were created to distribute God's love to others. All throughout the book of 1 John, we're gonna learn this the next 42 days. We're like a fountain. We're like a conduit. As the love of God comes into our lives, then we express that love. We distribute that love. We, we give that love to others. We, we love our family. We love our friends. We love our roommates. We love our spouses, husbands. Love your wives. We, we express love in the, in the classroom. We express love in our neighborhood. We express love that comes from God to others in the workplace. We were created to enjoy God's infinite love, but we we're also created to distribute God's love to others, especially those who are in critical spiritual need, especially to those who are in critical physical need. So these are the two pivotal aims, the two pivotal desires and targets and missions the next 42 days as we're walking through God's word together. But here's the good news. There's two truths to fulfill those two desires. There's two truths that we can stand on and see together in God's word that fulfill these two desires. 
to know for certain that we have everlasting life. The, the desire to, to know for certain that we can experience the substantial, reliable love of God. So let's go back to our passage, 1 John chapter 1. Look at verse 1 with me, please. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, which means it was made known. In fact, your Bible might even say there was made known. It had flesh on. We have seen it. We can testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was from the Father, with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us because indeed our fellowship, our union is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And again, personally, he says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. Here's the first truth we see that matches, that fulfills the desire, the pivotal desire we have. Here it is, it's easy. Jesus is eternal life. Jesus is eternal life. This is the key. If you want to know today that you have eternal life, then you're going to need to know Jesus. Then you can know that you have eternal life. Not just know about him. You will need to know him. Now, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3 of 1 John chapter 1, very interesting verses. They're also very complex. So let's look at this together. It's very interesting. In verse 1, John first writes here, that which was from the beginning. It would probably make more sense to us if he wrote he who was from the beginning. But instead he uses the word that, which kind of speaks of a, of a concept or an idea which was from the beginning. But then he, he shifts it now to this concept was seen or this concept was touched. We really can't see a concept or, or touch a concept. So now John switches to the person. You have that, which is a concept seen and touched, which is a person. Verse two, it's the same pattern. He talks about eternal life. You see that in your Bible, verse two, eternal life, which is a concept, a, an idea. But then John says, we have seen, and this person was with the Father. And so we, we move again from concept to person, from concept to person. Verse three, same thing. Look at verse three, that which we have seen. It would make more sense to us if John wrote here, he that we have seen, or he whom we have seen. But instead he uses that, meaning a concept, and then he says in verse three again, we have seen this person, we have heard this person. So what is going on here? Please, please catch this. The concept of eternal life cannot be separated from the person of Jesus Christ. The concept of eternal life cannot be separated from the person of Jesus Christ. This is why John, when he was writing the gospel of John, same person, like in John chapter one, verse four says, in him, in Christ was life. And the life was the light of men. This is what Jesus said of himself in John chapter 14, verse six. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse three. And this is eternal life, that we may know you, the one true God and your son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So I'll say it again. The concept of eternal life cannot be separated from the person of Jesus Christ. To have eternal life, you must have Jesus. So friends, please see who Jesus is. Jesus is the revealing of God. And in the first century, if we're, as John is writing to Christians in the first century, there were even professing Christians at that time who had a very small, a very distorted, a very deceived view of Jesus. Therefore, 
they had a very small, very deceived, very distorted way of following Jesus. In the same way in the 21st century. There are people who profess to be Christians, but they have a very small, very distorted, very deceived understanding of Jesus. Therefore, they have a very small, a very distorted, a very deceived way of of following Jesus or what it meant to follow Jesus. There are many in our world today who are content to say Jesus was a good man who had good teaching. He did good things, but they're not about to follow him as God. They're not about to follow him as the Lord over every detail of their lives. My fear is that many in the church are the same way. Content to gather, sing, and hear a preacher, but will not follow him as God. And will not follow him as the Lord over every aspect of their lives. John Piper in his book, Eternal Life, writes about this. And it's it's a long quote, but I put it on the screen and it's arresting. So here you go. Many are willing to believe in Christ if he remains a mere spiritual mystery. But when we preach that Christ has become a particular man in a particular place, issuing particular commands and dying on a particular cross, exposing the particular sins of our particular lives, then that preaching ceases to be acceptable for many. I don't think it's so much the mystery of a divine and human nature in one person that causes most people to stumble over the doctrine of the incarnation. The stumbling block is that if this doctrine is true, every single person in the world must obey this one particular Jewish man. Everything he says is law. Everything he did is perfect. And the particularity of his work and word flow out into history in the form of a particular inspired book that claims a universal authority over every other book that has ever been written. This is the stumbling block When God becomes a man, he strips away every pretense of man to be God. We can no longer do our own thing. We must do what this one Jewish man wants us to do. We can no longer pose as self-sufficient because this one Jewish man says that we are all sick with sin and must come to him for healing. We can no longer depend on our wisdom to find life because this one Jewish man who lived for 30 obscure years in a little country in the Middle East said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. When God becomes a man, man ceases to be the measure of all things. And this Christ, he becomes the measure of all things. This is simply intolerable to the rebellious heart of women and men. The incarnation is a violation of the bill of human rights written by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It's a totalitarianism. It is authoritarian. It's imperialism. It's absolutely absolutism. Who does he think he is? He is God. He is the Lord of the universe. If you desire to have eternal life, he will need to be the Lord over your life as well. Every aspect. Eternal life hinges on you bowing your heart to his lordship in your life. Eternal life comes from Jesus who is eternal life. Do you want eternal life? Then you will need Jesus. And you will need to make Jesus your life, not part of your life, not just your Sunday mornings, but your life. I've been blown away all week by Sonia's testimony this morning. A Hindu father who took his own life, a 
Muslim mother and Muslim family who have now disowned her for following Jesus, ask her if Jesus has become her life. Not just her Sundays, not just cultural Christianity. This is what it means that Jesus is eternal life. We have to bow our lives before him as the Lord over every aspect of our lives. Here's the second truth that certainly meets our aim. Jesus offers his substantial, reliable love. Jesus offers then his substantial, reliable love to us. We just came out of Valentine's weekend. How how do you know someone loves you? (laughs) They show it. They reveal it. It is is manifested. It shows, right? They, They make known their love for you by their actions. So someone may say frequently that they love you, but their actions are the exact opposite. You have every right to disbelieve that claim that they love you. If their actions, the making known of that is not shown in what they do. In other words, in order for love to be love, it must be made known. In order for love to be love, it must be manifest. That's why that word manifest is right here in 1 John verses 1 through 4. We see that. In fact, it's used over and over again in this passage and throughout the Bible, or your Bible might use the phrase made known. Love must have proof for it to be credible. Love must have action for it to be substantiated. And the beauty of this passage here, I hope your Bible is still open. The beauty of this passage is that God has not left us alone. He has not left us separated from him. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 2. We'll read it for the third time this morning. The life, this life of Christ was, was made known. It was manifest. And John says, we've seen it. We can testify to it. And now we proclaim to you the eternal life, this eternal life Christ who was with the Father. And now he has been made known to us. His love, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection has been made known to us. God has come to us in Jesus. We have seen him. We have heard him. We have touched him. In fact, all the way to the point that we crucified him, that's how we touched him. We put the son of God upon a cross, the most horrific death our minds could even conceive. And yet Christ endured the cross. Why? Because he loves you. Would you go over one page and look at 1 John 3.16? I mean, this is love in action. This is love with proof. This is love with evidence. This is love that's substantiated. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love. This is that substantial, reliable love. We know love that Jesus, he laid down his life for us. How do you know that Jesus loves you? How do you know that he offers for you today this substantial, reliable love? Love. He willingly, lovingly died for our sin, sins that he did not commit. He willingly, lovingly endured the judgment of sin, which is death, that we deserved. And he did this so that when we turn from our sin, we turn from our rebellion, we can turn to him and put our faith in Christ as Lord and then use this great word and have fellowship with God, intimacy with God, union with God. So how, let's just put it all together. Here's, here's the whole sermon on one slide. I could have just told you this 20 minutes ago. Here it is. I want you to know that you have eternal life. Here's the good news. Jesus is eternal life. 
I want you to experience God's substantial, reliable love. Here it is. Jesus offers substantial, reliable love. I pray that you would have and know eternal life. I pray that you would know the love of God. And listen, you find both of those. Listen carefully. You find both of those in Jesus. Life and love. And the good news I have for everyone here today is that you can have this life. You can have this love. Everyone, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've run from God, you can know God. And I am zealous this morning, friends. So listen to me carefully. I am zealous for you not to miss this. And the busyness of this life and all the challenges that many of you are walking through, I want you to know this that Jesus made a way for you to have life that lasts forever. Whatever you're going through, whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus has made a way for you to know the love of God and to have fellowship with God. Do not miss fellowship with God. And I'll go a step further. Do not walk around saying you're a Christian and not have fellowship with God and call that Christianity. That's not Christianity. To know Jesus is to know God. To know Jesus is to have eternal life. To know Jesus is to experience the love of God and have that fellowship with him. So every child that is here today, every student that is here today, every adult that is here today, listen. You can know for sure that you have eternal life by believing on Jesus. I would plead with you this morning. Do not leave this room until you know you have eternal life. How? You turn to Jesus and you say, I am turning away from sin. And I am putting my life into the life of Christ. I believe who you say you are. And I wanna know for sure that I have eternal life, that I know I'm experiencing this substantial, reliable love of God. Would you stand with me please and let's pray. Jesus, you died on a cross to cover our sin. You made a way for us to know God. It's not a list of things that we've got to do. It's simply turning to you and saying, I want you to forgive me, Jesus, of my sin. I want to know you. Give me life that lasts forever. Jesus loves answering that prayer. So how many today? Oh God, how many today? would turn to the Son, Jesus Christ, and find life, and find that love, substantial, reliable love, and know for certain that they have eternal life. It's through Jesus, the one who made a way that we pray.